Well, I believe God has great things in store for us today. How many of you have repented since New Year's? Of something. The rest of you need to repent right now for lying in church. You know, the word repent is not popular. I don't know if you've noticed, but you don't hear a lot of it on Christian TV. A lot of pulpits don't even preach repentance anymore. We don't talk about repent. We don't talk about sin. But here's the deal. The word repent is a beautiful word. And it's a word that I want to sort of um, dress up as being attractive rather than a negative. Oh, repent. Well, that's for street corner preachers that look crazy. And they're on the corner with a big sign that says repent. And we relegate the word repentance to sort of uh, yesterday yesteryear, and that's the way they used to preach. But now we're more sophisticated. We don't talk about repentance anymore. But here's the deal. Without repentance, you can't be saved. Without repentance, you can't walk with God. Without repentance, your guilt can't really be washed away. And I'm going to be dealing today with repentance being the key to God's peace. But we've shared last week, it's the first, it's the key to salvation. You cannot be saved without repenting. Repentance is a beautiful word. I thank God for repentance. It's the key to salvation. It's the key to God's peace we're going to talk about today. It's the key to successful spiritual warfare. And I'm going to share that next week. You need to hear that one. Because you've got to keep a clear conscience. And the only way you do that is repentance. And it's the door to spiritual refreshing. Repentance is a beautiful word. As a matter of fact, everything God has for you and me, we can't get it until we repent. So repentance is a key that unlocks incredible doors to our life. So let's just read a verse, and it's only one verse, and I want you to read it out loud with me. Then I'm just going to talk to you about the key to God's peace. Ready? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk to you about how in the world did you get justified by faith? By repentance. Father... We thank you today for that beautiful word, the gift of God, the gift of repentance. And I pray that you will help us see it in in the, the light that scripture shows it in, a beautiful light, an incredible privilege from God. And Lord, I pray that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand. Let the Holy Spirit, the great teacher of the church, be here very present to teach our hearts. Thank you for repentance. Thank you, Lord, for those who are far from you being drawn near by the gift of repentance today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, I'm going to let you be like a preacher for a minute. Turn to your neighbor and just tell them, repent. There. How long has it been since you told somebody to repent? (laughs) Now, for, for me to talk about this, I, I just have to go to Christianity 101. I, I just want to talk for a little bit about Christianity 101. What are the basics of why in the world do we need to repent? What's that about? Why have so many preachers today discarded that word? Why do we need to say, Lord, forgive me and wash me and cleanse me by the blood of the Lamb? Why do we need to do it? Let me go to Christianity 101. In the verse we just read, it says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, now those words infer something. They infer that there was a problem with us and God. Because if I've got to make peace with somebody, then something has happened to the relationship. Something has troubled the relationship or broken the relationship or, or, or come, in the, come between me and another person. So I've got to make peace with them. And so when it says we are justified by faith, having made peace with God, means that, that, that something, a conflict that was going down is no longer going down. There's no longer a conflict. I'm no longer at war with somebody. I'm no longer at war with God. Now, the Bible talks a lot about the way we were. Remember that song, The Way We Were? It was a movie, I think, The Way We Were. Here's The Way We Were. The Bible, looking back to the way we were before we were saved, look what the Bible tells us about us. At one time, you were. Everybody say were. You were alienated from God. You were alienated. And then it goes on to say something really heavy. You were his enemies in your minds because the evil you did was against him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, before I knew Jesus, I didn't know I was an enemy of God. I didn't even know there was a God. But the Bible right here, let God be true and every man a liar, the, the Bible here tells us that you and I, before we knew Jesus, we were the enemies of God and we were alienated from God. So we were not on good terms with God. Alienated means to be estranged, separated from the knowledge, love, and life of the true and the living God. You know what it's like to be estranged from a person. You know what it's like to have a broken relationship. You don't talk to each other anymore. You give each other evil looks, the evil eye. You say bad things about them. There, there's an estranged relationship. It's, it, it's strained. It's strange. You, you don't open your heart up to them anymore. They don't know your secrets anymore. You're not, you're not fellowshipping with them anymore. It's an estranged relationship. That's the way it was with us and God. That's the way we were. That's the way we were. But then it gets stronger. For me, it's stronger when he says, not only were you alienated, separated, but you were also his enemy. His enemy? I was God's enemy? Yes, because of our sin, we were God's enemy. Now, this is Christianity 101. I'm going to say that several times. Because some of you are going, well, I know all this. Well, you know what? We don't preach about this anymore. And we need to. Because how can somebody get better if they don't know they're sick? How can Jesus touch anybody if they don't know they need him? And how do we know how to get to him unless we hear the word repent? Now, look what it says. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, there it is again. If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So, notice, while we were his enemies, Jesus died for us. What about that? While we were his enemies, when we were his, his avowed enemies and estranged from him and separated from him and at odds with him and at war with him, Jesus stretched out his hands and his feet and he died on the cross for you and me. That's not normal. That's not natural. That's not what typical people do. I can understand dying for somebody you love, but even that's hard. But your enemies... And we were his enemies. So not only was there a broken relationship, we were literally God's enemies. And listen, if you're not a Christian today, you still are. Paul is reminding Christians that we are not 
we were not the friends of God. We weren't the friends of God. That song we sing, I'm a friend of God, we were not the friends of God. We were not. We were enemies. We were his daily enemies by living a sinful lifestyle that was totally against his will and ways. And so we were his enemies. Now, we may not have consciously thought it. Well, today I'm going to get up and be God's enemy. But we were. By virtue of our lifestyle of sin, which we all commit, we were his enemies. Now, Christianity 101. What is sin? We talk a lot today about wrong or right. But there's also a thing called sin. What is sin? Because that's deeper than wrong or right. Sin is deeper. Sin is described as breaking the law of God and rebellion against God. And we've all done it. We've all sinned. If you think you haven't sinned, come meet me after church. I'm going to ask you some questions. The Bible says the Ten Commandments. And remember, God gave the Ten Commandments to let us know how badly we needed a Savior because we could not live up to them. So the commandments say don't lie. Anybody in here ever lied? Don't steal. So don't crave what somebody else has. It says don't chase after other gods. That's just a few of the commandments. And the Bible says we've all broken the commandments. I want you just to just imagine for a minute that I bring in a big barbell, a big barbell like your bench press. And I put a bench press down here, and I got the barbell. And, and on this barbell are ten weights, five on each side. And those ten weights equal 2,000 pounds. And I say to you, I say, I want you to come down here and get on this bench, and I want you to lift 2,000 pounds. Nobody in here could do it. You might think you're a he-man, and you could, but it will crush you, because that's a ton. And so I can't push it. I can't lift it. There's no way I can lift it. I can want to lift it, I can try to lift it, I can strain to lift it, I can lie and tell others I'm lifting it, but I can't lift it. It's too heavy. And, and, and if we can't lift 2,000 pounds, then we surely could not lift the Ten Commandments. Because every time we try, we can't get the Ten Commandments up. We can't lift it. It's too heavy. It's too heavy a weight. And here's the thing about Jesus. He's the only one in the entire human race in all of history that, that, that got on that bench and said, no big deal. Okay? He, no big deal. And he lifted the Ten Commandments. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He never sinned. Jesus never sinned. There never did a shadow of guilt or sin come between Jesus and the Father because Jesus perfectly lifted the barbell. He perfectly lived it out. And what the beautiful thing is, when you put your faith in him, then God imputes to you what he did. And God looks at you and me and says, you are righteous because I'm giving you his righteousness and I'm letting you give him your guilt. You give him your guilt and he'll give you his righteousness. And that's a great trade. That's a great trade. And so Jesus lifted it, but we couldn't do it. And that's why God gave the law. That's why God gave the commandments. Because the Bible says they are a schoolmaster that whip us into grace. Because we say, I can't lift it, I'll never lift it, because I've lied. I've taken God's name in vain. I've wanted what somebody else has. I've chased after other gods. 
And James said, if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. There's none righteous. Here's the the Bible's take on the human race. There's none righteous. Not even one. All. Everybody say all. All. You know what all means in the Greek? It means all. It means everybody. It means not a single person excluded. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen to this one. All have turned away from God. They have all gone wrong. No one does what is right. Not even one. Listen to the descriptions. All. All. No one. Not even one. All. Everybody. So Paul closes out his little talk about our sin. And he says the entire world, therefore, is guilty before God. The entire world. The entire world. There's not one person out there. You could search Europe, China, the Middle East, America. You could go high and low throughout the whole world, and you would not find one person that has not sinned against God, except Jesus Christ, who stands uniquely alone in history as having never sinned against God. Now, Now, this is Christianity 101. This is the way that we were. This is the condition of the human race. And I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going to end up talking about God's peace and repentance. So stay with me. But i got to lay the foundation here. Since God hates sin, sin has placed a wall of separation between us and Him. I don't care who you are or, or how you're trying to get to God. But you won't get to Him by any other way than the only way He's provided. You're not going to get to him through Buddha or Muhammad or hugging a tree or your own good works. You're not going to because we've all sinned. There's a wall between us and God. There's a wall. Unless you know Jesus, there's a wall. Now, it turns out that the separation that that came because of sin, when Adam sinned, it says sin was imputed to the whole human race. And we all inherited a sinful nature. You don't have to teach a baby to lie. You don't have to teach a baby to not be selfish. Wow, 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 wow. Give me what I want, when I want it, how I want it, right now. So glad those days are over for me. But you don't have to teach a baby to sin. What are we always saying? We're having to teach them to do right. Because their natural bent is to go wrong. So man fell. Now it turns out. As scripture reveals that the separation caused by sin was severe and hopeless. The Bible reveals that after God gave the Ten Commandments, the human race could not obey them, as I already talked about. Can't lift that. I can't lift these commandments. I wish I could obey them, but I can't. Right when I think I've got one right, I go ahead and I mess up on the other. Even Paul the Apostle admitted, listen to this. I really want to do what's right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong. And my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws that I am breaking. I have a guilty conscience. I wouldn't have guilt if I didn't know I was doing wrong. If I didn't know that I was breaking God's commandments, I wouldn't have any guilt. But guilt is God given to let you know that you're not obeying the commandments. 
Now listen to the verse 17. I can't help myself. See, he's admitting, I got a bad case of the can't help it's. I want to do what's right, but every time I decide to go do what's right, I, I do what's wrong. And then when I do what's wrong, I know that I'm doing wrong. But something in me goes there. And then Paul tells us what it is. I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. So there he's talking about that sin nature. We've all got it. Christianity 101. We all, we've all got it. If we didn't have a sin nature, we never needed a Savior. We wouldn't have needed somebody who, who lifted it easily and successfully. But we did. So since we couldn't please God on our own, and Paul admits it, we needed help. We needed a mediator who was Jesus Christ. Now, in, in marriage counseling, for instance, you got two people that can't get along. Wow, wow, wow. They're at each other's throat all the time. So you finally decide, we need help. And so what do you do? You go to a counselor, and the counselor becomes a mediator. He gets in between you and your spouse. And he says, now, now let's figure this out, and let's try to get along. His whole motive is to bring peace between the two. He's a mediator. He stands in between two opposing parties to bring them into peace. Jesus became our mediator. This is what Jesus did for all of us. Jesus was our go-between. He was the mediator. He was the one that stood between us and God to heal the broken relationship and bring down the wall that sin caused between us and God. Jesus is the one that was right in the middle. When he hung on the cross, he was mediating. I love the cross. Here's why. There's a lot of reasons, but here's one. Because of what it looks like. Because it points up and it points out. It is, it is horizontal and it is vertical. It is horizontal as if the outstretched arms of Jesus are saying, come to me and let me hug you. Let me embrace you. Let me love you. Come unto me, all you that labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He ain't heavy. He ain't heavy. He's my Savior. It's sin that's heavy. It's transgression that's heavy. It's going our own way that's heavy. It's the devil that's heavy. It's the devil that will ruin your life. But it's Jesus who's light and easy on you and me. And hanging there, I think of the words of Jesus when he's talking to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I could just say, Bill, Bill, Sue, Sue, Jill, Jill, Jeff, Jeff. How often I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And that's what he said at Jerusalem. He says that over every one of us until we come to him, how often I would have gathered you. So that's the outstretched arms. But once the arms gather you, then the cross points up. He takes us into the presence of God. And he takes God's hand and my hand and he joins them together as a mediator. That's what he does. So that all of a sudden, 
He who is at war with God is at peace with God. He who is at odds with God is now right with God because the mediator did his job. Jesus was our mediator. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Notice there's only one. There's one way There's only one solution. We will never get right with God. We will never join God's hand unless the one mediator that God gives, that God gave, that one mediator is the one who brings our hands together. And isn't it good to be reconciled to God? Now, on the cross, he succeeded. He himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And the Bible says all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself. How? Through Christ. He brought us back to himself through Christ. Through Christ. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. Where would we be without Jesus Christ? I can't even think about it. I don't think I'd still be alive. Where would would we be without the mediator, Jesus Christ? Because when I looked up and I prayed... God heard that prayer because I prayed it through Christ. And the mediator took God's hand in my hand and he joined them together. And it's a gift from God. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. But God gave it as a gift. A gift is something given because the giver wants to give it. And, And he gave it. He gave it all. Jesus Christ gave it all. God gave Christ as the mediator. He gave the best that he had so that we could be reconciled. And many people think today, if you listen to Oprah or Dr. Phil or some of the television counselors out there, they're going to tell you any old way will do, but they're wrong. They're false. It's not true. Here's the truth. There's only one mediator. There's only one way. There's only one blood. There's only one sacrifice. There's only one cross. There's only one savior. There's only one healer. Only one deliverer. Only one. If you try any other way, it's a false way, you're going to end up with sand sifting through your fingers and a disappointed heart. Now, here's where the beautiful word repent comes into play. Now, here's where I'm going with all of this leading up to the word repent and how it opens the door to peace. See, repentance is the God-given way that Jesus becomes my personal mediator. See, I can see the cross, and I can look at it and say, yeah, Jesus died on that cross. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, I believe that history is telling me the truth. Jesus died on that cross. Yep, I see it. I imagine it. I see paintings of it. Yeah, he died on that cross. But if I don't avail myself of that cross, if I don't go to that cross myself and repent, remember, repent means to change your mind. It means I'm going one way. I'm going the wrong way. And I hear the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I hear that. And here I am going one way, and I hear that. And God speaks to me and convicts me. And I turn. I change my mind. And I turn. And I go the other way. I go the other way. And I leave the sin behind. I renounce it. I denounce it. I cast it aside. I lay it down. I say, God, forgive me. I repent and I turn the other way. And when I do that, then the cross suddenly becomes powerful to me as an individual. 
to me as an individual. Imagine you're in big legal trouble. You've gone out and you've done something and you've committed a felony. And you're in big legal trouble and you know it. You realize there's nothing you can do to help yourself. And you're about to give up hope because they have told you you're going to prison for a long and a terrible time because of what you've done. And you feel like there's, there's no hope for you. You don't know what you're going to do. And then suddenly somebody tells you about an excellent attorney who has offered to represent you free of charge. And he always wins his cases and sets his clients free. Always. And you go, this is too good to be true. How can this be true? But then they tell you there's only one stipulation. When you go to his office, and you're going to have to go to his office, and you want to know what Jesus' office is? It's the cross. That's how you visit him at his office. But you need to go to his office, but here's the stipulation. You've got to confess to him what you've done. You've got to tell him your deeds. You've got to tell the attorney what you've done. And if you take advantage of his offer, you'll be free because he'll start representing you the minute you do that. But if you don't take advantage of it, you are left to your fate. He cannot represent you if you refuse to confess to him your deeds. Folks, let me tell you something. You don't have to go to a priest to confess. You don't have to go to another person to confess. We have a great high priest in heaven who is waiting for us to confess. He's waiting for us to confess. And this is exactly the way it is with Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't do me any good, nor does the cross, unless I begin by repenting. That's the beauty of the word. Because when I repent, it's like a beautiful key that slips into the door of my salvation. And with the salvation, it brings to me the peace of God and the presence of God. And repentance turns that key and swings open the door. And I walk through it. And when I'm saved then I also have access to the peace of God and the presence of God. John writes, if anybody sins, we have an advocate. That's a word for attorney. If anybody sins, we've got an advocate. We've got an attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen. John says, we've got an attorney. And what does he do? The minute that we repent and turn to Jesus, his blood washes our sins away and we're no longer guilty, no longer under condemnation. And it takes the devil's teeth out of his mouth because the devil is in heaven. We know by the book of Job, he goes into heaven and accuses God's people night and day. That's what it says he does. He's the accuser of the brethren and he accuses you and me by name night and day. But when we repent... And Jesus' blood covers our life. Then the devil comes and says, Hey, Father, have you seen what Wickwire did? Have you seen what Wickwire thought? And the father says, No, I don't see anything at all because my son is right here representing him. And my son tells me that he's washed in the blood of the lamb. And says he's washed in the blood of the lamb. There's no more guilt and no more condemnation. So Satan, get out of here. Get out of my presence. Leave. Get out. No more condemnation. But only by the beauty of repentance does this become real. Thank God for repentance. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If, if, if we confess, he will forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The Bible says, now repent of your sins 
and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. See, they're not wiped away without repentance. The moment we repent, we just hired the best attorney in the universe. Amen? The best attorney in the universe. And he represents you and me from then on at the judgment seat of God. And he's the only one who can spring us from hell. Amen. So the whole world's guilty before God. Jesus becomes my personal advocate through the gift of repentance. Now we get to the peace of God, and I'm going to close. We experience peace with God, which brings the peace of God. Now listen, until we make peace with God, we can't have the peace of God. But the beauty of repentance is the minute that we turn and change our mind and go the other way and turn to Christ and put our faith in Him, then immediately we have made peace with God. We're no longer at war with Him. We're no longer at odds with Him. And then what does He do? He pours out the peace that the Bible says passes understanding. I read recently of a Christian man who went to a restaurant, and when the waitress was waiting on him, he asked her a question. He said, if you could ask God for anything, what would your request be? And without hesitation, she said, to be at peace. I want to be at peace. The whole world wants peace. But see, we think that lack of war, absence of war is peace. But that's not peace. That's not peace. Because the whole reason there's war is because men are not at peace with God on the inside. See, we turn to drugs for peace. We turn to alcohol for peace, to numb out the pain and give us some level of peace. We, we turn to yoga or meditation or, or some Eastern religion to somehow bring peace and harmony into our soul because we want peace. The Bible says in the last days, people will be saying, peace, peace, Amen. when there is no peace. True peace is not where everything around you is at peace, but true peace is an inside job. True peace is an inside job. If there's no peace within, there's no peace at all. I'm going to say that again. If there's, if there's no peace within, there's no peace at all. Because you can be in a great big mansion that's paid for. But if you don't have peace within, you can't enjoy those satin sheets at night. But, but, if, but if you've got peace with God, you've got the peace of God. And if you've got the peace of God, a shack will do. Amen. Because you've got the peace of God. The peace of God comes from the spirit of peace. The Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of every person who changes their mind and repents and turns the other way and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, God pours out his peace it exceeds anything that we can understand. It doesn't matter what's going on around us because we have peace in the middle of a storm. We have peace in the middle of conflict. We have peace when everything out here goes wrong. How is it we have peace that passes intellectual comprehension? I feel peace up here. What a great day it was for me when I prayed in juvenile home as a 16-year-old rebel. And I said, Jesus, forgive me. I had no idea how powerful that prayer was because my soul was in such chaotic turmoil. But when I prayed that, 
and opened my eyes, those dingy green walls that were in the jail I was in looked pretty. I felt light as a feather. Something lifted off of me. Jeff, who had been at war with God, made peace with God and got the peace of God. The only way we can get God's peace is that beautiful word, repent. Jesus, I agree with you. I agree with what you tell me about my sin. Isn't it great that once you're a Christian and you mess up, because you will about once a year at least, you'll mess up. (laughs) Isn't it great to know you can go to the Lord? Isn't it a gift? I want you to listen how to get, listen. Acts 11, 18 says, God has also given the Gentiles the gift of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Repentance is a gift. God could have left us out there groping in the dark, wandering in spiritual blindness. He could have allowed us to die in our sins, but he didn't. Jesus said, when the Spirit of God comes, he will convict you of sin. So the first ministry of the Holy Spirit to you and to me is conviction. And why does he do it? So we'll repent. And the minute we repent, the peace of God. I love God. I don't battle him anymore. I want to please him. I want to serve him. I want to honor him because he's changed my nature. So everybody say repentance is pretty. Oh, it is. Can we stand together today? Repentance is a gift. What a privilege it is that we can repent. How many of you are so thankful God led you to repentance? Amen. I mean, thank God. Thank God. I want to lead us in a prayer, and then I want to pray for people who may not be sure that they have peace with God. You may not have peace with God. That's okay. I didn't have peace with God. I'm not judging you, not condemning you. I love you. I want you to know you're always welcome here. I don't care what your past is. I know that the blood of Jesus can wash your sin away. And you can leave today right with God and have his peace. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of repentance, the beauty of the word, the power that it releases upon us. Thank you, Lord, for that word. Now I ask you, Lord, to search us by the Holy Spirit. If there's anything we need to ask forgiveness for, Lord, we're going to do it right here. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone who has not made peace with God, that you will draw them today mercifully to the foot of the cross. Now let's pray together. Say with me, Jesus, forgive me of, and you fill in the blank, Fill in the blank. I just hear heaven saying,
forgiven. 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 And now if you have a question mark about your personal salvation, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? If you have a question mark about it, you may not. Pray this with me. Just pray it right now. We're going to go to the Lord together. He's wanting you to repent so he can forgive you and change your life. So pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead that I could be saved. I repent of the sin that put a wall between me and you. And I ask you to forgive me. And come into my heart as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. With your heads bowed, and you say, Jeff, I prayed that with you. Raise your hands real quick. Would you just put them up? Just put your hand up.